I'm going to ask you a question. I really want you to put up your hands, but, I'm not, but I encourage you not to. How many of you ever hear voices? <laughs> I'm like, if you're visiting Book of Life this morning, you're feeling really funny right now. What do you mean hear voices, Steve? Well, rather than tell you, let me just show you what I mean. Gaze towards the screen up there. You could say I'm a little bit crazy. You could call me insane. Walking around with all these whispers, running around here in my brain. I just can't help but hear them. Man, I can't avoid it. I hear voices. I hear voices like my dad saying, work that job, but don't work your life away. And mama telling me to drop some cash in the offering plate on Sunday. And granddad saying, you can have a few, but don't ever cross that line. Yeah, I hear voices all the time. Turns out I'm pretty dang lucky for all that good advice. Those hard to find words of wisdom hold up here in my mind. And just when I've lost my way, or I've got too many choices, I hear voices. Telling me to say a prayer Every time I lay down at night And Grandma saying if you find one You better treat her right Yeah, I hear voices all the time Sometimes I try to ignore them But I thank God for them Don't ever cross that line, yeah, I hear voices all the time, yeah, I hear voices all the time, all the time. So let me ask you again, how many of you hear voices? This time you can put up your hands. You know, God didn't make us to be alone. We need each other. We need to be there for each other. Every once in a while, somebody will get lost out on a deserted island or decide they don't like the world and they'll build a little cabin out in the middle of nowhere. And after a while, they do start to hear voices. Because <laughs> humans aren't made to function alone. We need each other. We need each other's advice. We need each other's 
uh, camaraderie. We need each other's love. To get by in this life with as few bumps and bruises as possible, we need to, to combine our wisdom and try not to make the same mistakes that other people have made. Here's what the Bible says. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I like another verse put with the good news version. It says, get all the advice you can and you'll succeed, and without it, you'll fail. Get all the advice you can. Listening to good advice will give you a better shot at success. Not listening to good advice, just the opposite. But really, it's, it's not one or the other. It's really two, two against one. Listening to good advice, that's the one. Not getting good advice or not listening to good advice. Those are two separate things. If you don't listen to advice at all, that's bad. But if you do listen to advice and it's bad advice, that's also bad. So it's listening to good advice or not listening to good advice or listening to bad advice. So if the Bible says our success is tied up with listening to good advice, where do we get it from? What are the sources of good advice? I, I came up with four. Maybe you can come up with more. Really, I could condense it to three. But the first one is other people. It says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It doesn't just say a few other people either. It says lots of people. You've got a big decision to make. You get lots of advice. That's the suggestion. Then you can weigh it out. And, you know, Brian might just have one little piece of information that I didn't hear from the 10 other people I talked to, and that might be the piece that I needed. But that piece alone wouldn't build my career, but without that piece, my career could crash. It might be about career. It might be about relationships. I think more than anything... We probably need advice about relationships. And if you're 20 years old and you get all your advice from a bunch of 20-year-olds, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You know? I was 20, 25 years ago. Vern said he was 20, <laughs> what, 70-something years ago. These people have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, wrote the book. We're not the first to get married and things go south. So why talk to other people who've been married two years to see how they're keeping it together? They don't have a clue. They haven't even started yet. Talk to somebody who's been married 50 years. See how they've been keeping it together. And then talk to some more people who've been married 30 years and 20 years. There's where you want to get your advice. I always find it funny that people would get advice from the craziest sources. Author so-and-so. Marriage advice, because I've been married four times and I know all about it. Okay, I, if I want divorce advice, I'll talk to you. But if I want marriage advice, I want to talk to somebody who did it once and it worked. That's where I want my advice. Listening to good advice leads to success. So what are the sources? People. Lots of people. But not just any people. Good people. Mature people. Experienced people. Trustworthy people. Godly people. Now... There are some brilliant people out there, and you may not know them. Some of them write books. You can get advice from them that way, too. So books, I'm counting as number two, but really it's just people who write them, so it's still people. It's just people indirectly. If you read a book on any given topic, you probably know more than 90% of the rest of the world on that topic. Books are just condensed data on any given topic. And they could be fun. People, books, the Bible. 
Why is that a separate category from books? Well, you know it, because it wasn't just written by people. Other books, just written by people. The Bible is inspired by God. You want some good advice? Start there. Start with the book called the Bible. And then there's another source. So the first one is people, the second one books, the third one is the Bible. The fourth source of good advice is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you really will hear a still soft voice whispered into your heart, a little piece of advice at a critical moment. Don't be so quick to dismiss that voice. So there's your four sources for good advice. You want a successful life? Hunt those four down. Well, if you got to know where the good advice comes from, I should warn you about where the bad advice comes from. And I think, in thinking about it, I discovered it's pretty much the same sources. People, books, the Bible, let me explain, and not the Holy Spirit. He'll never give you bad advice, but that voice in your head, that may not be the Holy Spirit. So, people, immature people, unwise people, untrustworthy people, ungodly people. There's a Jewish proverb that says, beware of the person who gives you advice according to his own interests. You've got to be real careful who you seek your advice from. The kingdom of Israel was divided for hundreds of years because there was a king, a young king, who rose up and there was some political problems and he went and got advice from some old mature people who were experienced and from his friends. He went with his friends, destroyed the nation, and it was divided for hundreds of years. Got to be real careful who you seek for advice. Books are great, but for every good book, there's probably five bad books on any topic. Any topic. So I wouldn't advise you to just go to the bookstore and say, Pastor Steve said, read books on topics, so you grab one and read it. It might be, it might be stupid. It might be insane. It might be nuts. You've got to pick the right books. Now, I said the Bible leads people astray. It's not really the Bible, but the Bible is the excuse they use. They'll read the Bible. They will misinterpret it and change their lives based on the misinterpretation of the book. It says that in the Bible. It says many people twist the scripture to their own destruction. So even though the Bible is the most awesome source of good advice in the world, it's been used as a source of bad advice for all sorts of people, causing all sorts of pain and chaos. You realize most cults out there say the Bible's their book. Well, they're using the same book we are. But there's something wrong. I mean, between their glasses and the book, something happens. And it just doesn't read the same. So be careful that you don't use the Bible improperly. Even if you're not a cultist and some wacky evil person, if you don't properly study the scripture, you can be confused, hurt, and led astray. That's why Paul told Timothy to be diligent in studying the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. People, books, the Bible, and the voices. said so the Holy Spirit can whisper into your soul, no question about it. But that doesn't mean everything you think you're thinking is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit can whisper into your soul, but so can the devil. It says in the Bible that it's the devil who put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. It doesn't mean that the devil made Judas do it. Judas was willing to do it, but he heard a voice, as it were, and he went with it. The idea came from Satan. So just because there's a voice that pops up in your brain or in your soul, it may not be God. 
It may be the devil. It may not be the devil. It may be this morning's rotten scrambled eggs you had. They're messing with your head. You know, they sell things out there that will mess with your head and make you hear voices. Mushrooms. LSD. There's stuff that will make you hear voices, but those voices are not the voices you should be listening to. And for a few of us, you just might be nuts. I mean, insane people hear voices. I remember asking a Christian psychiatrist, I said, I mean, crazy people, are they demon-possessed? Are they crazy? Is it both? What do you think? I had my own opinion. I wanted to hear his. He said, it's both. He said, some of them are just crazy and some of them are possessed. How do you tell the difference? I don't know. But oftentimes, you can tell. I guess if you work with them, you can tell. I don't work with them, so I just, anybody talking to themselves, walking down the street, I give them a wide berth. I don't want to go tangling with the devil or with crazy people because I'm not equipped to do so. But should God call me to do it, I'm jumping in. All right, so the sources of good advice and the sources of bad advice are pretty much the same. But why in the world, Steve, are we talking about this when we've been going through the book of Samuel? Well, let me tell you why. Because in Samuel chapters 25 to 28, 25, 26, and 28, I'll deal with this very topic. 27 is like David moved from this city to this city back to the story. So what we're going to do is talk about it. We started actually last week in 24 with some of this. So really, 24 through 28, here's what happened for those of you who weren't here. David killed Goliath, and everybody loved him. So the king of Israel, Saul, hated him because they loved David more than him. So he became real envious and decided he was going to kill David. He went after David, and it just so happens that David was hiding in a cave with some of his armed men. Well, Saul went into that cave because he was hunting for David. He didn't know he was in there, but he found a cave. He was going to go in that cave to relieve himself. David was hiding in the back. And the men said, this is your opportunity. This is what God was telling you about. He would deliver your enemies into your hands. Kill him. So David is being given this advice in the name of God based on a prophecy that he should kill Saul. And David said, no, I'm not going to kill him. This is God's anointed. I'm not going to lift my hand up against him. So David was urged. He heard voices. He was given advice to slay Saul, but he refused. Chapter 25, chapters we're in today, it's just on the flip side. Now David does want to kill somebody. But he hears a voice that urges him not to. Let me tell you what happened. David's hiding from Saul. He's got several hundred men with him. And they're living out in the hills. Well, in these hills, there's this rancher, a shepherd. He owns thousands of flocks. A flock? Flocks is a plural, singular? Lots of sheep. And David and his men decide they're going to guard these sheep to help the guy out. Because they're there anyway, so... The wolves never came and took the sheep because David's hundreds of men were there. The sheep were safe. The man's business did great. Nobody could steal the sheep. Well, at sheep shearing time, all the workers come together. They have a huge feast, and it's a party atmosphere. David sent some of his men to the shearing guys and said, Hey, you know, we helped out. Could you give us a little bit of food? Well, the guy who owned all the sheep, his name's Nabal, he sent the men away embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated, and ridiculed. Who's David? Oh, you mean that guy who rebelled against the king? 
Should I give every rebel something to eat? The men went home furious and hurt. When David heard about this, David said, grab your swords, man. We're going to go kill everybody in that village. He said, this is the godly man, David? Yeah. David was ticked off, and he was going to go kill some people. Good? No, not good. But this is what he was going to do. Well, while his men getting on their horses, saddling up, grabbing their swords, getting ready to go kill some people, one of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, what had happened. You could just see the blood drain out of her face. She knew. You just don't insult banditos like that. Because David's men were like banditos. And she said, quick, get some food. We're going to go out and see if we can avert this catastrophe. So they gather a bunch of food, head out towards David, and sure enough, they meet in a ravine. David coming this way, Abigail going this way. She, she stands right in front of his horse. She bows down on the ground, and she says, said, please, don't kill my husband and my family. My husband is an idiot. He's always been an idiot. In fact, his name means idiot. If you want to kill somebody, kill me. Take it out on me. Well, this disarmed David. He wasn't going to whack down this woman who brought food and was apologizing profusely. David's lost his heat, and he thanked her because she kept him from committing a grievous sin. What just so happens that when she got home, she told her husband what had happened. He got so scared that 10 days later he died, probably of a heart attack, because he was scared to death of David, or God judged him a little bit of both. David heard that the guy died. He sent for Abigail, and she became his wife. Pretty cool story. Men, ladies, plug your ears. Men, notice, sometimes you should listen to your wives. They will keep you out of trouble. Okay, ladies, you can unplug your ears now. He married this woman because of her great advice and her beautiful spirit. I'm sure she wasn't so bad looking either. Chapter 26, David was again urged to take Saul's life. So in chapter 24, he's urged to take Saul's life. He says no. Chapter 25, he's urged to spare a life. He says yes. In chapter 26, he's urged to take a life again, and he says no. Interesting guy. Similar story. Saul's after David. David and his men are hiding. It's nighttime. All of Saul's men are sleeping. David and a few of his guys sneak into camp. They're standing right over the sleeping body of Saul. And the guys say, this is that opportunity we talked about before. He's right there. God has delivered him to you. Kill him now. David grabs a spear, his water jug, turns around and leaves. It says in the Bible that God kept him asleep during this whole time. Then when they're across the ravine, Oh, camp! Abner! You didn't do your duty tonight! Your king could have been killed and you're his bodyguard? Ha! Huh? The camp starts to wake up. Who is that? And Saul says, Is that you, David? It's me. You should choose better guards. You could have died tonight. They deserve to die. David's no fool. He's keeping his distance. But they're having a conversation. And in the conversation, listen to what David says. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. 
The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued you today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from trouble. David was saying, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. May God see my righteous duty and protect me because I'm not protecting myself. And we talked about that a bit last week. But I find this interesting. Not only did David not listen to those voices, but he became a voice of his own. Now David's giving advice to everybody listening, yelling across the valley to hundreds of, of soldiers about living righteously and God rewarding people for doing right. I'm sure some of the soldiers didn't want to be there because they knew who David was. David was a hero, a national hero, and the next anointed king. But you got to do what the king says. The Lord rewards everyone for his righteousness and faithfulness. People, that's you. The Lord rewards everyone for his righteousness and faithfulness. In the New Testament, it's said in a different way, but it means the exact same thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I threw in the sisters part, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Same thing, just in a different way. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Work hard for God and he will reward you. So, chapter 24, David urged to take Saul's life. Chapter 25, David urged not to take Nabal's life. Chapter 26, David again urged to take Saul's life. Voices, voices, voices. You've got to filter them out. Some you should listen to, some you should not listen to. Chapter 27, again, David moves to another country. He moves to the Philistine area. He says, I can't live in Israel anymore. Saul's going to catch me. Now, while David moves into the Philistine area, he starts raiding all the enemies of Israel, but doesn't tell the Philistines what he's doing. It's awesome. And then the Philistines mass for battle against Israel. Now, there's so many of them that Saul and his men are scared to death. Israel's always outnumbered. And I think, you know, this is God's way of letting Israel remember that he takes care of them. And if they walk with him, they've got nothing to worry about. But if they don't walk with him, then they've got everything to worry about. This was one of those situations. They weren't walking with God. They were chasing David, the rightful king, all over the place. Saul, the evil king, was on the throne. And the Philistines are massing. David's with the Philistines. What's Saul going to do? Saul needs some good advice. Saul needs to hear some voices. But Saul's crazy. And the only voices he gets are the one inside his head. He went and searched out for God, but God would not talk to him because Saul had turned his back on God. So he asked the Lord what to do, but the Lord would not answer, either in a dream or by a prophet. Then Saul told his officers, find me a woman who can talk to the spirits of the dead. I'll go to her and find out what's going to happen. Okay, God, you're not going to talk to me? I'll go talk to a witch. What's the guy thinking? I know. God won't talk to me, so I'll do something he really hates. Now you see why this guy wasn't a good king. Go find me a woman who can summon the spirits of the dead. Well, there's a woman at Endor who can talk to the spirits of the dead. So that night, Saul put on different clothes. He put on a disguise so nobody would recognize him. And off he goes him and two of his men to the woman. 
They find the woman and he says, will you bring up the ghost of someone for us? Verse 9. The woman says, why are you trying to trick me and get me killed? You know King Saul's gotten rid of everyone who talks to the spirits of the dead. She doesn't know he's the king because he's disguised. Saul replied, basically he's saying, I'm not here to trap you. I'm not here to set you up. I'm not here to rat you out. Just talk to me and I won't say anything. I swear by the living Lord that nothing will happen to you because of this. Who do you want me to bring up? She asked. Bring up the ghost of Samuel, he answered. All right, Samuel was his prophet. But when he turned his back on God, Samuel left and would never speak to him again. And then over time, Samuel died. So his prophet's dead, so he wants to speak to the ghost of his dead prophet. Crazy, crazy, crazy. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Then she turned to Saul and said, You've tricked me! You're the king! He said, Don't be afraid. Just tell me what you see. Obviously, he doesn't see what she sees. She answered, I see a spirit rising up out of the ground. What does it look like? It looks like an old man wearing a robe. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, so he bowed down low. Why are you bothering me by bringing me up like this? Samuel asks. Saul says, I'm terribly worried. The Philistines are going to attack me. God has turned his back on me. He won't answer me anymore by prophets or dreams. What should I do? Samuel says, if the Lord's turned away from you and is now your enemy, don't ask me what to do. I've already told you, the Lord has sworn to take the kingdom from you and give it to David. And that's just what he's doing now. When the Lord was angry with the Amalekites, he told you to destroy them, but you didn't do it. That's why the Lord's doing this to you. Tomorrow, the Lord will let the Philistines defeat Israel's army. Then you and your sons will join me down here in the world of the dead. Bum, 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 bum. How many of you have ever heard this story before? Let me see your hands. Okay, a lot of you. How many of you, when you first heard the story, maybe even to this day, you're like, what? This is weird. I don't understand. What's going on here? Yeah, most of you. Is this for real? I mean, did a woman really bring up the ghost of Samuel, the prophet, for real? Does that mean there's ghosts around us today? Maybe those things that go bump in the night? Hmm? Raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Does she have power over spirits? Was, was Samuel the prophet, the servant of God, resting in paradise, and all of a sudden his soul got ripped out of there by a witch? That's freaky. doesn't say that, but it leads one to question whether that's what happened. Or is this just all fluffernutter? A lot of questions. Well, to begin answering them, I'm going to start with what we do know. And then we'll talk a little bit about what we don't know. Here's what we do know. Consulting spirits is forbidden in the Bible. That's why Saul outlawed it. Listen to what the Bible says, the Torah, Leviticus 20. These are the words from God to Moses. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. A man or a woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Consulting the spirits of the dead carried the death penalty. It was considered unholy, evil, and forbidden. There's this show that used to be on TV called Ghost Whisperer. Such a sweet, pretty lady. 
helping the dead spirits get on to the light where they need to be. How could anything like that be evil? See, we take the things that the Bible tells us about and we clean them up and spray them with perfume and make them look good. Ghost Whisperer, it's a TV show. The Bible says talking to the spirits of the undead is evil, unclean, and forbidden. That's the perspective you need to have in your head. And it's not the only place the Bible talks about it. Deuteronomy 18. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or his daughter in the fire. These were the practices of the religions in the region of those days. Let no one do this who practiced divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. Here's what I'm thinking. If you think about the TV show The Ghost Whisperer, nothing detestable about it. There's a bunch of ghosts running around that need help. And it would be awfully unkind of you not to help. There is a spiritual world. You all know this. There are angels. There are demons. There is the kingdom of heaven. And there is the place God sends the bad angels to, which we'll call Hades for now. That's all I know. So if you're not dabbling with the kingdom of heaven, you're dabbling with the kingdom of hell. I have talked to witches, spiritists, and such. I had a conversation with this one guy on the streets of Chicago. And he told me what is also called astral projection, that his, his spirit can leave his body and he can travel through spiritual realms. And he says when he's traveling through these spiritual realms, he encounters these creatures called beasties and he has to bind them before he can move on. I didn't look at him and say, dude, you're nuts. I did not do that. I said, beasties, huh? He said, sounds like demons to me. He said, no, no, they're not demons. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Next time you encounter one of these beasties, just ask him who Jesus is. His face kind of went white. He said, no, I, I couldn't do that. Why not? It would tear me to shreds. Uh-huh, so it's not a demon, huh? And you could see he heard what I was saying. He understood. And the gears were turning. And I said, and then after you ask it who Jesus is, before it tears you to shred, ask Jesus to save you. There are more things going on out there than you and I know about people. I don't want to mess with them. But I'm not afraid of them. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You know, I'm not afraid of lions. But if I lived in a place where they walked, I'd carry a rifle or a shotgun. And I still wouldn't be afraid of lions. But if I didn't have the shotgun, I would be afraid of lions. Well, there's demons out there. I'm not afraid of demons. I carry the Holy Spirit. If I don't carry the Holy Spirit, you should be afraid of demons. But I do, so I'm not. I've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm armed. I got armor. I got a sword. I'm good. I don't know about these people, though. It says, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. 
So, what was going on with Saul and Samuel and the witch and the spirit? I don't know. Here's three things I do know. There were mediums back in those days. There are mediums now. Now, I know a lot of people who claim to do hocus-pocus are just phony people out to get your money. I know that. Most of the people who want to read your palms, do a tarot card reading, consult the spirits of the dead, odd Agnes says, are just playing games to take your money. But maybe some of them aren't playing games at all. Maybe some of them are like this witch of Endor. God says in the Bible there were mediums. God says the practice is evil, unholy, and detestable. And that those who consulted the dead were under God's death penalty in the Old Testament. So, Steve, what was going on with Samuel, Saul, and the witch of Endor? I don't know. I, actually, I think I do know, but let me give you the common answers. Here's common answer one, number one. This was a hoax. The woman was just one of the charlatans playing games. She all along knew it was the king, claimed she didn't, knew what he wanted. Why would people say that? Because there's nothing in the Bible that says it's a hoax. They would say that because the questions it raises, the questions I raised earlier that we don't have answers to, unsettle them so much that they'd rather that not be an option. <laughs> so it's better to think this is phony than we don't have to make that an option. But biblically speaking, there's nothing in there to indicate that it was a hoax. Here's another common interpretation. She was a witch, a spiritist. I know today that word witch has many connotations, but that was the King James word for her, okay? Um, she did consult with the dead, or at least claim to, but God made it happen in this one occasion because God wanted Samuel to once more pronounce judgment on Saul. Really? God established this charade through this woman? It's conceivable. But again, God's not mentioned in this story. <laughs> so that's just somebody reading into it to help them understand how a dead person can be consulted by a living person. Because we'd like to think that we're in, we're in paradise, we're untouchable. Well, by the way, where Samuel went when he died is not where we go when we die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So whatever concerns there were back then in the place of the dead, those aren't our concerns today from my perspective. Third argument, or third interpretation, the witch really did bring forth Samuel. Why would people think that? Well, because that's what it says. Without having to do any kind of mumbo-jumbo, <laughs> pun intended, it's plain, what it plainly says is what happened, happened. I find it also interesting that it said she didn't know who he was, but as soon as Samuel appeared, then she knew who he was. And then she said, it was because you refused to kill the Amalekites that you're being judged and you and your sons are going to die. It's exactly what happened. So it might have been a true prophecy. And if it was a true prophecy, I don't think this was a phony witch. It was probably really Samuel. What about all those questions you raised before? I don't have the answers. I don't know. This is a weird story. It's the only one in the Bible like it. I don't know what to do with it. Let me read to you from one commentary. The story has led to much discussion, whether there was a real appearance of Samuel or not. The well-known age, figure, and dress of Samuel, which she could easily represent herself, or by an accomplice, 
his apparition being evidently at some distance, being muffled and not actually seen by Saul, whose attitude of prostrate homage, moreover, must have prevented him distinguishing the person, though he'd been near, and the voice seemingly issuing out of the ground, that's what the Hebrew says, and coming along to Saul, and the vagueness of the information imparted much which might have been reached by natural conjecture. So basically, he's saying, here's the various arguments. The first one was it was a sham. All this has led many to think that this was mere deception. But on the other hand, many eminent writers, considering that the apparition came before her arts were even put into practice, that she herself was surprised and alarmed, remember she screamed, and the prediction of Saul's own death and the defeat of his forces was made, are of the opinion Samuel really appeared. So, Steve, what do we do with this story? Don't worry about it. There's lions out there. Just walk with a gun. Don't worry about it. It's nothing to worry about. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Now, another commentary sums this up beautifully. Listen to what it says. The simple general meaning seems to be this. What God has thought proper to reveal, he has revealed. And what he has revealed is essential to our well-being. The things which he has not revealed concern not man but God alone and are therefore not to be inquired after. Thus then, the things that are hidden belong unto the Lord, and those that are revealed belong to us and to our children. In the Old Testament, God raised up Moses. Moses would do a miracle. He'd throw down a stick, it would become a snake. And it said the magicians did the same with their enchantments. And Moses' snake swallowed up their snakes, still showing that he was superior but also showing that these guys might have also done some magic too. Now everybody says, oh, it was just a trick. Maybe it was, I don't know, but the Bible says they're sticks, they did the same. He turned the Nile River into blood. They took a little bit of water and turned it into blood too. He did the whole Nile, they did a cupful. But it says they did it. Then as the miracles and plagues increase, it says they could no longer reproduce the miracles. We move forward to the New Testament. It says that when the Antichrist comes and the false prophet, all signs and lying wonders. Some people say the lying part refers to the signs that they're just tricks. Others say, no, they're real. They're real works of occultic power that deceive people. So even over that, there's disagreement. But why should there be disagreement? We all know there are spirits out there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces from the dark places, the Bible says. They are out there. They're real. But we don't have to worry about them. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in us. Moses didn't worry about whether these guys could throw down their sticks or not. He knew who was going to win the battle. I'm not worried about what the Antichrist is going to do. For those living, when he's here, I'm worried about their souls being deceived for sure. But the Christians who are here when he's here, they're not going to have anything to fear from that man. We hear voices all the time. But we've got to be able to filter them out. 
This is a new phone for me. I love it. Can't stop messing with it. It's got so many gizmos and gadgets. But one of the things I like about this phone, my last phone, if I got on, and others had ones like the last phone, if I got on the phone with somebody and they were in a room like with other people talking, this mic was so sensitive that it picked up everybody talking all at the same time. So I'd be like, you know, I, I can't hear you. Well, I can hear you, but I hear everybody else just as loud as you. Okay, can you call me back or step outside? Okay, I'll call you back. And then I got this cool Bluetooth headset, and it was the same. If I was walking outside and the wind hit it, it'd be like, <laughs> to whoever I was talking to on the phone. Or if I was by somebody, they'd say, whoa, what's that? I'm like, what's what? There's somebody else by you. Like, no, there's not. Oh, over there, you can hear that? Yeah, it's just as loud as you are. Now I got a new Bluetooth headset. It's a little more expensive, but it works. The wind doesn't come through. Other people talking are not a problem. I can have the radio on in the background, and they don't have a problem with me talking to them. It filters the voices. You have to learn to filter the voices, too. I think the devil is a lot smarter than we give him credit for. If he shows up with a flaming pitchfork and says, ah, I'm the devil, you're not going to want to be worshipped or fooled by him. But what if he's so smart that all he does is put a bunch of distractions in your way, a bunch of voices? He doesn't even care what they're saying as long as there's lots of them. Just to keep you off your toes and off balance. I want to tell you how to filter the voices. <clears throat> I gave you some advice at the beginning of the sermon. Four ways to know which voices to listen to. But here's how I recommend you filter the voices. There's different ways you can do this, so I'm just going to share with you one. Go to a quiet place. Bring a Bible with you. Call it your prayer closet. <clears throat> if you don't have a prayer closet, you have a closet. Go in there, turn on the light, now you have a prayer closet. Take a deep breath and pray something like this. God, it's been a crazy day, crazy week, crazy month. My brain is swimming with things going on at work, going on at home. This thing with my wife, this thing with my kids, this thing with my coworkers. I've got people wanting me to do the man cave, people wanting me to do the choir. I've got people wanting me to play poker. I've got people wanting me on the volleyball team. Ah! The boss is telling me this. Lord, I don't, I, I'm, I'm confused. Please help me to just hear from you today. Please help me focus in on you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me commune with you today. And then start reading the book. Let God be the voice. Do you remember there was this instance where the prophet Elijah, powerful prophet who did mighty miracles, was called by God to the mountain. And there was a great earthquake, but it said the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. There's a huge fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire, but in the still, small voice. God can be big and grand, but sometimes it's the soft voice. Now, I've had some training on public speaking, and there's some tricks to get people's attention. If everybody's loud and you yell over them, that's not the trick. The trick is to lower your voice then they'll strain to hear what you have to say. Now, that has to be assuming that people are already wanting to listen to you, of course. 
Let's say up on this stage, we had these awesome bands, Bring the Rain, playing. And at the same time, Come Thirsty, playing. And at the same time, the Last Resort Band, playing. You're like, ah! And then a three-year-old gets up on the stage and just starts singing. I bet you everybody's going to be looking at the three-year-old. Everybody. Great, loud bands. But they're just voices gotten in the way of that one still small voice. Let God be that one still small voice in your life. Come to him, ask him to speak to you through his word and shut down all those other voices. Listen to what Deuteronomy 30 verse 20 says. Love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. Well, he's your life if you've given your life to the Lord. But if you haven't, all those voices are the only ones you get. And they're not going to lead you anywhere good. So I encourage you, if you have not let, yet given your life to Christ, why not do it today? Why not do it now? Why don't you just bow your head and say, Lord, it's time. I do believe in Jesus 100%, and I'm going to follow him no holds barred.